following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Thanks, Alan Marsh, for that great, great introduction every week now. What a great thing that is. Welcome to the Mid-Modcast, whatever this thing's called. I'm Craig. Who are you guys? I'm Paula. And I'm Dave. Dave! <laughs> well, I like the way he right. said that and Isn't the way that you how said he it. says it in the intro? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you remember the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, you remember music. I'm sure of it. You must. And that's what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about music. Uh, we'll see if we can actually make time for all three of us because we all have three giants of the era and uh, musical geniuses. And so I'm excited about this. It may turn into a 10-part series. I don't know, but uh, we'll take it as it comes. And, of course, this is just three artists of dozens and dozens and dozens that we could talk about and we will talk about over the years hopefully. So we will jump into that in just a minute. But first, Paula, if people wanted to get in touch with us, find us on the internet, uh, uh, social media, whatever that thing's called, and and all the rest of that, what would they do? Where would they go? What's what? <laughs> What's what? We've got a very active Facebook page. So please look up the Midmodcast on Facebook. Um, you can also find Midmodcast on the Midmodcast on Instagram and the Twitter, the Tweety as well as call us. We've got a phone number. Yeah. We do. 216-309-2204. Once again, 216-309-2204. If you have any show suggestions, any comments, what, what else could they memories. call us? Memories. Memories. We're all about the memories. No, yeah, yeah, we had yeah, Karen um, give us a, a really awesome memory yeah. of, of about five or six episodes ago. That was just wonderful. Remembering and, cocktail parties when she was little and her parents. Yeah. And the, the clinking of the glasses <laughs> yeah. and the coats. All and the meat coats. Yeah. So, or, you know, just drop us a line on any of those. Yeah, platforms. do that. Do that. Also, find our website, right. mid, midmodcast.com. And uh, you can email us, midmodcast, no the, just midmodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can get a hold of us there. We're going to kind of go in, in the order of Dave, Paul, and Craig, if we can actually get to it. Uh, so <laughs> Ooh, grab thanks. yourself a cocktail, get cozy and comfy, because we're going to swing here. It's going to be awesome. Dave, you get to start us out with one of the giants the hugest giants of the era. Paula, did you have something to say? Or you? Oh, no. Oh, I thought you were raising just your stretching hand over there. And yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. I've been teaching school virtually, so, I, you know, right. no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. All yes, right. Yes. Well, in that case, oh, we'll yeah. just turn it over to Dave, and you can tell us about this guy. Well, I, I want to start from the, from the beginning and say that, Ooh. you know, as a kid— uh, truly the coolest thing in our house when, when I was little was the ginormous Sears silver tone stereo console mm. that my folks proudly displayed in our living room. Did, did you guys have one of these in your house growing up? I think ours was Magnavox. A Magnavox. Nice. No, yeah. we did not. We had a record well, player. <laughs> you had a record. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. it wasn't bad. Stereo yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, you know, stereo. It wasn't the kind that was big and bulky and you put in. It sat on my dad's desk, I believe, and had speakers. Oh, nice. and, yeah. Yeah. 
I'd like to get one and take it down to the Royal Ohana room in the basement, but I just don't know how I'd get it down the stairs. Those oh, things yeah, the, the so things, heavy. yeah, they weigh like 800 pounds and it takes like eight, eight guys to carry Be them. A crane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and uh, what was cool about ours, my dad even got uh, external speakers that he wired through the floor to the downstairs. Yes. Because, uh, you know, we had a partially finished uh, basement with a fireplace. And anyway, they, they would host people down there and, and play the music down there as well. Um, it was mostly off limits to my young 60s era self, but I always watched <laughs> and wonder, right, as the records on the changer fell one after the other. Um, and of course, when it comes to the LPs themselves, uh, none held my attention and curiosity more than Whipped Cream and Other Delights by Trumpeter Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Now, I think a lot of us, a lot of us remember seeing that album. Yes, which I'll talk about what you saw on that album. In, in I like to here. sneak a peek at that album, too, because yes, it was just something that we've never experienced. Yeah. Well, so living in Missouri in the boring Midwest, because, you know, not everybody gets to be born in Southern California like you two. Uh this LP and its super fun, south of the border, carefree sound always transported me out of our little suburban ranch house. this was the one that put Herb Alpert on the map. Um, released in 1965, it was the fourth album by the Tijuana Brass, or the TJB, as, as they were later known as. Um, it was on AM Records, which was owned by and founded by uh, Herb Alpert and his business partner, Jerry Moss. The LP was literally everywhere because, you know, when we were planning this episode talking about what could we do on the next episode our conversation kind of drifted towards those lps that were kind of ubiquitous in everybody's houses displayed on the turntable yes. displayed on the on the console and i mean this one literally was everywhere uh, all my friends parents uh, pardon me all my parents friends had a copy and Craig, you've re recently gotten back into uh, vinyl digging, uh, yeah. looking for lost treasures. When you go into a record store or a resale shop or wherever, there's always at least one, if not two or three copies of this LP in various uh, conditions, right? I have to disagree because I've only found one whipped cream and other delights and it was in terrible shape. Really? Because yeah, here, here in St. Louis, I mean, the, I, you can find find a copy anywhere. Well, grab one for me, would you? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think you're going to Goodwill uh, and not to vinyl shops. Oh, yeah. Right. If I was you going know, to vinyl shops, yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd find it. It's but, always there. But yeah, out yeah. thrifting, there's a lot of Herb Albert, but not so many of... Uh, people are still hoarding that album cover, I'm telling you. Yeah. It's still, oh, yeah, man. It's still a definitely. favorite. So, yeah. So like I, I said, all my parents' friends had a copy and, and the reason we see it everywhere or even back then saw it everywhere, it sold over 6 million copies in the U.S. Wow. And was on Billboard's top 10 list for 61 weeks. Oh, my cow. goodness. <laughs> I mean, this 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 record was was a big deal. Um, and. As you guys have already mentioned, uh, we we certainly can't talk about this LP without mentioning the sexy cover, <laughs> which is truly a pop culture icon. Um, so for those of you who don't know, it's, it's a green album cover, and then it shows a sultry looking model in what looks like sort of a, a wedding dress. 
uh, she's um, she's holding a rose and then off to the side in in super groovy 60s era font. It says Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, Whipped Cream and Other Delights. And then it lists out uh, some of the songs that are that are on the LP. But uh, it was conceived by Peter Worf, uh, A&M's art director, and featured the beautiful 29-year-old Dolores Erickson, who at the time was three months pregnant. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, we all, we, yeah, we all know it well. Erickson uh, is enrobed in a large white <laughs> Christmas tree blanket. You know, the, that, that it was supposed to look fluffy, kind of like snow that you would, you know, put around the base of your oh, Christmas tree. Really? Yeah. So they just had a really, a really big one that, you know, they covered her in, uh, but just her, her, you know, lower half. Um, and then uh, she, the, then her torso was covered in shaving cream because they yeah. discovered really quickly. Everybody likes to tell the story that whipped cream would melt under the studio lights. Right. Right. So they, they had to use, uh, they had to use whipped cream. She was wearing a bikini underneath the whip, cr the shaving cream and the Christmas no, blanket. You, you shouldn't have told us that you ruined the oh, fantasy. So, oh, it's so just sorry. ruined now. Right. I'm going to look for that Christmas blanket now. <laughs> Darn it. Ugh. Right. Yeah. You can tell if you look close, but her straps were down. So you don't really see. In, Dave, in, you know, you just, you just told me my childhood was a whole, the whole thing was a lie. The whole, my childhood was a lie. Your eyes. Sorry, man. I, I apologize. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, so uh, this is the LP that you would put on when you had the barbecue grill going. Yeah. Of course, you'd have to have the windows open, right? Because um, you want to blast it outside. Oh, yeah. Or you had people over for appetizers and drinks. It, it was it was a fun uh, party record. Yeah. And uh, I also have fond memories of my parents dancing to this record, like in our living room. Uh, so it was one of their favorites, right? So we heard it a lot. They would put it on and, you know, kind of dance with each other. Aww, that's sweet. What a great I memory. Know, right? Yeah, it is a great memory. And um, the tunes are mostly covers done TJB style or Tijuana Brass style and has one of my favorite songs by the group, which is yeah. Lollipops and Roses. I, I love that song. Oh, yeah, that's I a good one. Um, yeah, and I even made it, a, a, made it into a, a ringtone Uh Oh. On my phone, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great LP. And like I said, uh, one that most households I was in as a kid uh, had at least one copy of somewhere. Um, but uh, again, Craig, it's, it's, I think it's mostly due to the cover. Uh, we actually got to see um, Herb Alpert and his wife, Lonnie Hall, uh, who was actually one of the lead singers for the Brazil 66 back in the day. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Sergio Mendez's um, Brazil 66. Right. We got to see them in concert a couple of years ago. And, you know, the anecdote he loves telling is um, somebody told him like shortly after the album came out, Hey Herb, I saw your new album, man. That is quite a cover you got there, man. <laughs> and his comment to the guy was, and what did you think of the music? <laughs> Everybody would always mention the cover and not really expand on the music too much. But anyway, yeah, there's some interesting trivia that goes along with um, Mr. Herb Alpert. You guys want to hear some? Yeah. Or do you have yeah. stories you want to share about, you know, your your memories of this LP, except for the cover? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say there there was this one album cover that uh, I really liked. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, my memory is, I, 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 you know, I'm a pianist and I majored in piano and my mom would buy, you know, these little easy piano books. And the oh, first nice. like sheet music I received was Spanish Flea. That oh, was like yeah. my first sheet. And it had this really crazy caricature of a flea on it. And I had to nice. learn that piece. 
Oh, if you could find that, that'd be awesome. You can post a picture of it oh, on the Facebook page. Oh, I don't think it's around. I don't think you I have it. You can play it for me later. Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, sadly, I didn't really enjoy practicing it. But I didn't enjoy practicing it at all anyway. So. Gotcha. Well, you know, um, Beth, Beth always talks about how when she was taking piano as a kid, that was she wanted it to be instantaneous. She didn't want to have to practice. Um, yeah. <laughs> like you have to do when you're going to be a good pianist. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, interesting bit of trivia. Did you guys know that one of the tunes I, I'm not sure it's on whipped cream, but um, one of their tunes called Mexican Shuffle. Did you know it was used in a series of chewing gum ads? No. If if I heard it, I'm not really sure how it goes, but uh, if I heard it, maybe I, well, maybe we should just play it now. Well, <laughs> we can do that. Anyway, it was uh, it was a company called the Clark Chewing Gum Company, and they had a flavor Clark. called Tea Berry, and so they took the song Mexican Shuffle and redid it as the Tea Berry Shuffle. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and th this has to be one of the biggest misconceptions of of all when when we talk about Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Uh, he was. Born and raised out your way. So he was born and raised in the L.A. neighborhood of Boyle Heights. Mm -hmm. okay. You guys yeah. familiar? No? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, his parents were Jewish immigrants from Ukraine and Romania. So it was just a coincidence that he looked to be of Mexican descent. And for those of you who don't know Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, it's um, it's very south, south of the border you know, mariachi sounding kind of music. And that was their whole shtick. They dressed up like Toreadors and, you know, Mexican mariachi musicians. Mm. And he, he just had this look uh, that, I mean, he fit the part or at least his look fit the part. But um, he was a Jew from L.A. He, he was oh, not, funny. He was yeah, not the, really Mexican. Yeah, the black hair and the dark skin. It's kind so of a Corla Pandit yeah, little, right. but not quite, <laughs> not quite as extreme. Uh, Back when and, Romanian Jews just couldn't get into the mariachi oh. scene, they, they were they were forbidden. Good you know, one, and, uh, good one. <laughs> nice, nice one. Yeah, be sure to watch our episode on Corla Pandit to figure yes. out what that yeah. joke is all. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, he, uh, when he, when he, uh, was first starting in the business, he, he tried his hand at acting. Um, and he actually has brief uncredited appearances in no. the 10 commandments. Uh, no way. <laughs> no way. Uh, he, he is a drummer on Mount Sinai. That's, oh, yeah. oh, like the Ten Commandments, right? But okay. they didn't, they didn't put his name in the credits. Um, <laughs> and then there is a early 60s um, Jimmy Stewart movie called Mr. Hobbs Takes a Vacation. I don't, I don't know if you guys know this movie, but uh, in the movie, he and his family uh, rent the seaside home and in the community nearby, uh, they have a community dance. And when they go to this dance, there's a live band and Herb Alpert is playing trumpet on the stage. Oh, cool. Uh, of, yeah. Uh, but again, um, uncredited. Um, and we talked a little bit about before the, uh, uh, Paula, you're going to talk about Burt Backrack here in just a little bit. Right. Um, Herb, Herb and uh, Burt worked together a lot um, uh, in the music world back then. And the Tijuana Brass actually provided the soundtrack for the 1967 Casino Royale Bond movie. So this one is quite out of the typical, you know, James Bond spy thriller genre that we're used to. In 1967, um, uh, a different studio uh, made uh, a movie called Casino Royale and um, Burt Bert Backrack composed the music for that. And uh, 
Herb and the group um, provided provided the music. Yeah. Now, was that kind of a early thing for Herb, or was he already established at that point? Uh, he would have already been established at that yeah. point because you know it, it, the group was everywhere, and that music was everywhere. I mean, um, Paula, in a previous episode, we even talked about how whipped cream, Spanish flea and Tijuana taxi, right. were used in the dating game. Right. Right. right? When we did our uh, episode on 60s TV, right. Yes. He made a um, commercial. Very. Yeah. 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 So everybody wanted him. So, uh, Burt Bacharach reached out to him and said, well, why don't you guys just provide the, uh, provide, and it was a, a, a comedy style. It was a spoof of the right. James Bond, right. uh, canon right but that music is almost like another character if you ever watch <laughs> that movie it no, is right, so it is. prominent and so yeah. catchy i've never i don't think i've ever seen a movie <laughs> where the music was a little wow it's it's really it's kind quiet. of zany and a lot of fun yes it is. it's zany yeah. over the top and and i actually fun. ended up buying the album after i saw that movie i thought it was such terrific oh, yeah. music Better than what the movie was, but right. watch it for the, the, the music and the zaniness. <laughs> right, right. We're all big fans of Exotica here on the Mid Modcast. Do, do you two know of any connection between the Tijuana Brass and the Martin Denny Group? Ooh, no. Oh, do tell. Yeah. So, vibist Julius Wechter replaced Arthur Lyman in Denny's group. Um, I think just after they issued the mono version of of um, Exotica the Martin Denny record called Exotica, which was their first release. Uh, Arthur Lyman left the group. And then right before they, I don't know if you guys know, they re-recorded Exotica in stereo. They re-recorded the whole entire album oh. um, so that they could release it in stereo. And um, Vibus, Julia, uh, Vibus Julius Wechter uh, had replaced Arthur Lyman at that point. Um, and later, he worked with Alpert as a member of the famous Wrecking Crew uh, uh, Studio Musicians Group. And by the way, have you guys seen that? Um, yes, it's that so documentary. Yeah. We do. Yeah. I do recommend that to our listeners. It's fantastic. Oh, yes, definitely. So, uh, yeah. So the uh, Wrecking Crew was a group of Crackerjack first call studio musicians that pretty much played on any hit that came out in the sixties, but they were never credited. Right. Uh, so nobody really knows who they are, but uh, Julius Wechter was a percussionist and vibist. Um, and then later uh, Herb Alpert encouraged him to form his own group, which was the Baja Marimba band. Do you guys Ooh. know that one? No, I know of it. I, I yeah. can't, can't remember any hits that they had or anything. Yeah. And then, uh, well, they, they did, I think they did mostly covers. I mean, they had, uh, they had original stuff as well, but I think they were mostly known for their covers. Um, and then Paula, uh, as you mentioned, your, your little, uh, piano training book, uh, <laughs> the composer of Spanish flea was Julius Wechter. Oh, so okay. he composed that song, uh, for the Tijuana brass. Okay. And then I thought it might be fun just to, you know, as, I wrap this up to talk about some stats. Herb Albert is the man. I mean, if you want to talk <laughs> statistics, he's had five number one albums Whoa. over the Whoa. span of his career. I mean, you know, most artists can say I had a number one album at one point, but he had five of them, right? Uh, he had 28 albums on the Billboard charts. He, over the years, uh, has had 14 platinum albums. He's had 15 gold albums. Oh wow. my goodness. Yeah. And um, he has amassed or won nine Grammys uh, over the course of his career. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's something. Um, oh my. That is something. And uh, he has sold 72 million records <laughs> worldwide. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, can, and it can all probably be traced back to... 
that lovely lady in a whipped cream dress <laughs> on the cover of his nineteen sixty five release. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I I don't remember if we mentioned it. I know we talked about it a little bit before the program, but he he's one of the founders of A and M Records. So right. not only was he a recording artist, but he was a producer and huge entrepreneur in many ways. Was oh, yeah. he still is? I mean, he's still kicking and still going. Right. But, uh, what he's a, like eighty five. He's yeah, what yeah. an amazing, amazing life to have. That, oh yeah, that he's had There's, uh, just a lot of success. And if you want to learn more about Herb Alpert, um, they just recently, uh, I think October second, just released oh. a oh. Well, this is going out way past October 2nd. But anyway, right. uh, they just released a um, a documentary on his life and career and how he continues to, um, you know, produce music, record music. He's a, an accomplished artist, uh, like in painting and sculpture, right. uh, yeah. as long as oh. being an accomplished um, musical uh, artist. Right. Is that on Netflix right now or... Uh, I don't know if you can find it on Netflix. It's probably on on pay per view oh, platforms okay. like iTunes or. I'm well, I'm trying to remember. We, Prime. Yeah, we have the Fire Stick, and uh, I was searching for various things last night, and it popped up on the list. So, okay, it's on one of those platforms. If you have Amazon Fire TV or or probably Roku or any of those things, right. you can probably find it. I'm sure. Okay, yeah. Just type it in. Search search. Yep. Magnify yes. glass. Okay. There it is. Um, and I think it's called Herb Albert is with okay. an ellipses. Okay. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Right. Very cool, Dave. Yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely going to go down to the Royal Ohana room after we're done recording and throw on a little Tijuana brass. I think that's yeah. a must. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Definitely. Awesome. Um, and, and I think it's, I, I'd like to mention, it's kind of funny when we finally arrived on this topic, um, I texted you guys immediately and said, I call dibs on whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> whipped cream. <laughs> dibs. Dibs. Yeah. So, all right. Guys in love with you. Uh, I have uh, somebody who was a very prominent and prolific and splendid, as is the modcast. I have Bert Bacharach. Yes. Anyway, I, I wonder if one of you can time me. Get on your phone and, and get All your right. timer. I want to see if I can list. All of Burt Bacharach's music with the... All most, of his music? No, sorry. All of the music that I know. Because I was about to say, we don't have that kind of time. No. <laughs> okay, here's a man. And you're doing who, it by yourself. We're not helping you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to go through the list. Because so I, I don't want to take you know too much time. I'm just going to go through this as fast as I can. All right. um, give, I give me picked, the nod when you're ready to go. Okay, I picked the music that I knew that I, I could actually sing. Okay, and I still ended up with a page, so wow. I don't want to take too much time. And I am kind of shocked this this was all composed, arranged, written by our friend Bert Bacharach. Okay, ready and go. The man who shot Liberty Valance, uh, sung by Gene Pitney. There's always something there to remind me, Lou Johnson. They long to be close to you. Carpenters, 99 miles from L.A., Johnny Mathis, Alfie, Dion Warwick, Arthur's theme, Best That You Can Do, Christopher Cross, Baby It's You, The Shirelles, Broken Hearted Melody, Sarah Vaughn, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, Dion Warwick, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Burt Bacharach, Heartlight, Neil Diamond, I Say a Little Prayer, Dion War Warwick, I'll Never Fall in Love Again, Dion Warwick, If I Ever Should... If I ever should ever lose you, Chicago, magic moments, Perry Como, make it easy on yourself, Jerry Butler, on my own, Patty LaBelle and Michael McDonald, one less bell to answer, the fifth dimension, only love can break a heart, Gene Pitney, raindrops keep falling on my head, BJ Thomas, slow jams, twista, that's what friends are for, Dion and friends, the blob, the five blobs, this guy's in love with you, Herb Alpert, trains and boats and planes, Dion Warwick, 24 hours from Tulsa, Gene Pitney, walk on by, Dion Warwick, what love can do, Brian Wilson, 
else. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love, Jackie DeShannon, and what's new, Pussycat, Dom Jones. Uh, you can do better. That was a minute seven. Uh, you know, do you know why nice. I had myself do that? And, you know, even with you timing me, it was really hard for me not to bust out in song while I was reading a couple I of know. these. Yeah, so man. that's why I had you time me, because I wanted to get through all of them without just going, do you know? <laughs> or whatever, you know. And, right, right. Yes. So because <laughs> it's also singable. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, this is how I kind of got into Burt Bacharach. This is kind of late to the party. Um, Craig and I were engaged. And, you know, when you start merging your household things to to go to to move and he moved into my condo so I went through all of his CDs and I found this one that said the best of Burt Bacharach I guess it was like I think it was more like three or four CDs and I I stuck them in my back in the day so good in 2007 no 2006 or 2007 and I I actually put it in my CD player and I'm like Oh, my goodness. I kind of knew the name Burt Bacharach. I mean, knew him, but not really. Not You you don't realize how many hits he wrote. Right. And I I started to listen to it and started one, that, 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 that. And then um, I always kind of thought of him as like kind of easy listening. And I started to really pay attention. And I noticed that the rhythms were so complex. He changed meters. Um quite a bit in his music and I kind of started to listen actively rather than passively and really started to listen to his music and I thought oh my gosh this is really good this is really interesting this isn't just your regular pop song type of music Um, he composed hundreds of pop songs from the late 1950s through the 1980s and his famous collaborator of course was Hal David Um, he was a composer songwriter record producer and a very excellent pianist and the ones that I read are just a small sample and I um, wrote you know who the performers were most of these songs were probably covered by three or four more people than I I read. Um, it's amazing. His music has actually been recorded by over 1,000 different artists. Mm. He's had 73 USA hits. And he's actually kind of a significant figure in easily, easy listening. But his name can be linked with just about every prominent musical artist of his era. Almost all of them. But his music is not easy. I mean, it's fun to listen. It's you know, relaxing, but his music is really characterized by unusual chord progressions. I love to listen to his harmonies, especially when you hear his pian- piano skills. He, it's very heavily influenced by jazz harmony with striking syncopated, syncopated rhythmic patterns, which I also noticed when I was in Craig's convertible, also barring that, along with his CDs when we were engaged. I was so cool. He was. He had a sub <laughs> convertible. Happened? Yeah. Nice. And I actually would drive that around town, too, and let him drive my dumb car so what happened to my coolness it just <laughs> yeah disappeared it, one sorry day. i guess it, being married to me made you more and more nerdy by it. the you year uh, sorry that whole married life thing and his <laughs> um i noticed that syncopated rhythmic patterns he had a frequent modulation and changed meters odd changing meters and his phrasing was very irregular he even mentioned it in a documentary i watched where he would complete the phrase in you know three measures two two measures and mm. he got a lot of cri- criticism for that that's why he kind of branched out on his own he's actually considered one of the most important composers of the 20th century popular music winning six grammy awards and three academy awards um, songs that he co- co-wrote that have topped the Billboard Hot 100 include This Guy's In Love With You, of course, 1968. Raindro- Recorded by Herb Alpert. Herb Alpert, yes. <laughs> Raindrops Keep Falling On My Head, um, 1969. And I remember singing that song in kindergarten, in my kindergarten class. Oh, yeah. We did it for a performance. And, I'll, oh, and nice. I remember I loved, I loved it. I'm like, this is the best song ever. I was four years old. They Long to Be Close to You, of course, The Carpenters, 1970. Arthur's Theme from from the movie Arthur, The Best That You Can Do, 1981. He had a long career. And then we go into 1986, That's What Friends Are For. (laughs) He was actually born in good old Kansas City. Um, His mother was an amateur painter and also a songwriter as well. 
um, she was responsible for making him study the piano. He was also Jewish, um, but he kind of kept that under wraps because he lived in a Catholic community. Um, Bacharach um, showed a lot of interest in jazz as a teenager, mm. and he didn't really like his piano lessons, his classical piano lessons. So he would use this fake ID to get a- admission into 52nd Street nightclub. So he heard, oh, nice. uh, growing up as, in his teenage years, he heard bebop musicians such as Dizzy Gillespie and Count Basie. Mm. And his uh, Count Basie's style would really influence his um, songwriting and composition. He did go and study uh, in college. He studied music. He actually has a Bachelor of Music. um, And he studied at Montreal's McGill University and Mann School of Music and Music Academy of the West in um, California. And this I found as the nerdy classical pianist that I am. He studied composition with Darius Miu. And it's spelled Milhoud for you, but it's pronounced Miu, and he was he is considered one of the top French composers of the twentieth century of the classic style. He was like part of the everybody who studied music in college. If you studied uh, contemporary music, you always study Darius Miu, oh, and wow. he's part of the French Six. I can't even remember; it's been so many years since I studied, but he's a very prominent twentieth century composer. So he uh, cites Miu as his biggest influence, and. And um, under his guidance, he actually wrote a sonatina for violin, oboe, and piano. Um, When he got out of college, he was the pianist and and conductor for Vic Damone. And he, yeah, isn't that cool? He worked for singers Polly Bergen and Steve Lawrence. Um, When he didn't have paint, like gigs with singers, he would work in the Catskills which kind of reminds me of Dirty Dancing. And he would accompany all the singers in the cat skills, including Joel Gray. Um, When he was a young man, he collaborated with Marlena Dietrich. We are after the same rainbow then Waiting round the bend my huckleberry friend moon river and me. he toured with marlena dietrich um in the early 60s with her and that's when he got all of his uh, recognition as a composer, I mean, as a conductor and arranger. And Marlena, if you read any interviews about Mar- with Marlena Dietrich um, uh, talking about him, uh, she just absolutely, absolutely adored him, adored him. He was just the best thing that ever happened to her, according to her, when you hear her speak as an old lady. And then in 1957, that's when he met Hal David, and they wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs together. The Story of My Life was their breakthrough hit, and then Magic Moments by Perry Como, that's what made him number one. Magic moments when two hearts are He discovered the singer Dionne Warwick. And during the next 20 years with Dionne Warwick and Hal David, that partnership was probably one of the most successful teams in music history. Warwick's recording of his song sold over 12 million copies. And she would have more hits in her career than any female vocalist except for Aretha Franklin, who also sang songs by... Bacharach as well. And his music is more, m- much more complicated than most pop songs. Jazz artists, actually jazz artists of today take their inspiration from Bacharach. Um, you talked about the soundtrack of 1967. <laughs> so I'm going to just quickly remember, uh, mention Casino Royale. And that includes The Look of Love. Oh, yeah. Very, very famous song. I mean, where do I even start. I mean, it's just so much. Um, Other Oscar nominations for best song in his later half of the 1960s were The Look of Love, What's New Pussycat, and Alfie. 
And in the interview I saw of him, to, um, that I watched of him, Alfie, they asked what his most um, beloved song, what song did you really love the most? And he actually said Alfie. I love the words to um, Alfie. And so the look of love, what's new pussycat, and Alf, Alfie won um, Oscar nods. You mentioned how uh, musically complex a lot of his compositions are. Yes. Um, you know, I've been a Backrack fan for a while, but I never heard a particular song of his until recently. You should look up a song called Knowing When to Leave. And it is it is very I mean, I'm sure Dionne Warwick had a uh, they had to do several takes on that because it's not easy to sing. And it's um, yeah, I can't spout off all those clever musical terms like you did earlier, but um yeah, it's, complex. It's, uh, it's a yeah, it's great. Yeah, he he put his singers through the ringer too. He would pick pick music that had huge ranges, and and uh, they interviewed one of his singers, and she thought she'd never be able to do it, but with his encouragement, and she she's just nailing those high notes, and yeah, and afterwards he's an old man. He goes, "Whoa, this was really difficult." He goes, "This yeah, is an octave yeah. plus four, <laughs> wow, you know." And he shows us on the piano how how the range he needed to sing one of his songs i just thought oh my goodness so before we wrap up bert i wanted to ask you to um do you remember as kids i i remember seeing this commercial when i was a kid and it, it looked like it was shot in this beautiful malibu house right on the beach and i just remember thinking oh my gosh this this is like the most like elegant sophisticated couple i've ever seen in my life and it was a commercial for Martini and Rossi Vermouth, and it starred, of course, Bert Backrack and Angie Dickinson. Dickinson. Do you guys remember these? No. Oh, and he, he would play. Yeah. He would play on his piano. Martini and Rossi. Yeah. Yes. Rocks, yes. yes. He was. He was married to Angie Dickinson <laughs> yes. for a, yeah, a yeah. few minutes there. Right. <laughs> he 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 was married tw four times. <laughs> oh wow. wow! I did not know that. And the funny thing about those commercials, now that I'm a grown up, um, I'm like, wait, what? People actually drank vermouth on ice back in the day. I mean, that sounds really gross to me, but it really, I guess it was a thing. I, yeah, <laughs> I never really thought about that before. <laughs> it's pretty awful. Sorry, I digress. Hey, Paula, you know who else studied with Darius Mayud and even named his his son after Darius? That. What? That is back, back in the recesses of right? Yeah. I mean, two amazing composers, two very, very technical composers, both studied with the same guy. It, 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 that's amazing, isn't it? So I'm talking about Dave Brubeck, who's probably my favorite jazz artist. I mean, if you're going to stay away from the blues, he's, he's my favorite jazz artist of all time. And of course, Dave, we know about him because of his his funky time signatures. I'm going to talk a little oh, yeah. bit about that in a, in a couple of minutes. But uh, he was born in 1920. His father was a cowboy and his mother was a classical pianist. How's that for a combo? <laughs> he had two older brothers who ended up being musicians. And his dad said, this one's mine. And so, <laughs> so Dave was being raised to be a cowboy. And if you ever saw pictures of Dave Brubeck, if you know what he looks like, looks like a total nerd. I mean, he's got the horn rim glasses. <laughs> and uh, as an older man, I've seen some interviews with him. His belt is just right up to his nipples, basically. I mean, it, it's he's <laughs> rocking that nerd polyester thing. He's, he's really on it. And, you know, when you see interviews with a guy, he just seemed humble and and just a really good guy in so many ways. So not your star kind of guy, but uh, an amazing talent and a uh, very gifted guy. So anyway, he was being raised to be a cowboy and he went to what is now the College of the Pacific to study veterinary medicine. He was in the zoology program and the zoology department was right across the lawn from the musical conservatory and so he'd sit in the zoology classes or, you know, biology and all that kind of stuff. And he'd hear the music coming from across the lawn. And one day his professor said, 
you don't belong here, Dave. You, you belong over there. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Go over there where you belong. And uh, so much to his father's chagrin, I think, he ended up over in the music department. And he was the number one. He was the best composer, arranger that they'd, they'd had maybe ever there. And he, he was near graduation. And the dean of the school discovered he couldn't read music. And he's, he's, he's composing all this stuff and he can't read music. He said he could write it, but he couldn't read it. And he, he really couldn't read it by, you know, he couldn't sight read things. But uh, anyway, he graduated. And as soon as he graduated, he, he got uh, drafted into the Army in 1942. And he went in as a musician. They, they put him in this band and he didn't even go through boot camp. And all of a sudden they said, hey, uh, pick up your rifle. You're going to war. And Dave's saying, wait a minute, I didn't even go through boot camp. So this sergeant, he talks about this, this sergeant took it upon himself to put Dave through boot camp in two weeks. He's dragging wow. him out of bed at three in the morning to march <laughs> in the rain. I mean, just all the stuff you saw in stripes and everything else. And so he gets sent to Germany and uh, he is there with the rest of the troops. I don't think that he actually saw any action at this point, And I don't think he ever did, really. Uh, but a USO troop of ladies came in and they did a little song and dance, but their pianist was sick or something. And uh, the word went out, does anyone here play piano? And Dave raised his hand and, and he said, well, jump on up there. And he dazzled them so much. The general said, wait a minute, son, you're, you're not going to war. You're, you're too valuable for that. And so the general set him up with his own band. He's a private first class in charge of his own band. And they're traveling around the European theater, and he had other soldiers who were wounded in action who were musicians as his band. And so they would go to the front lines. They'd be just two, three hundred yards from where the fighting is. And they had this pickup truck and a piano strapped to the back, and they would jam out there. And the troops would come, and he told the guys that, that he was with, he said, wear your purple hearts, because they'll respect you if you wear your purple hearts. And so... Uh, because they were wounded soldiers, they got a huge amount of respect, and they were just hugely loved. They were called the Wolf Pack. And uh, so Dave spent World War II entertaining. At one point, he tells a great story about uh, the Battle of the Bulge. He was there in the Battle of the Bulge. He, his, his truck, they got lost, and they ended up on the German side, and they're running for their lives trying to get away from the Germans. <laughs> uh, but uh, that was the most action that I think that he saw. After the war, he came back, and he went to study with Darius. And uh, just really pushed his writing light years ahead of where he was. Uh, he hooked up with Paul Desmond, his saxophonist, in, in the Army. They were in the Army together. And so you know Paul Desmond because you've heard Take 5. And if you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it right now. Dave Brubeck is often credited for writing this song, but it really wasn't Dave. It was Paul Desmond. Uh, what happened was their their drummer, Joe Morello, had this beat in his head, and he came in. And he's, Joe used to be a violinist, and he became a drummer. And and uh, he had this beat, and he came in, and he's, he was tapping this beat out. And, uh, and Dave started riffing on it a little bit, but it wasn't really coming together until Desmond got involved. And Desmond wrote the whole tune that do 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 And so they they worked together, they collaborated a lot in this sort of thing. Uh, Blue Rondo a la Turk is another one where that same sort of thing happened. But actually Paul Desmond really deserves a credit for take five. Uh, but uh, it's it's really amazing. So Brubeck comes back, he forms this octet. And uh, he was with a failing record company called Cornet Records. There's another Cornet Records, but this one failed. And they sold out to Circle Records. And Brubeck picked up so much steam, Circle Records was shipping out 40,000 to 50,000 of his records every quarter. So every oh, wow. three months, they're shipping out like 45,000 records. And they became filthy rich, Circle Records did. And I think Dave did quite well for himself. And this is right around 1951. 
Brubeck goes to Hawaii and he's on uh he's in Honolulu and he's out body surfing, I guess, and he basically broke his neck. And oh he arrived God. at the hospital. Wow. They declared him dead on arrival. What? But but he didn't <gasps> die. Uh, <laughs> obviously he didn't die. But he, he had uh his his hands wouldn't work right for months and months and months. Oh, wow. oh no. And because of of this pain in his hands and everything else, his piano playing uh, really changed a lot, and it kind of became blocky and chunky. And you you hear it in his music, the dun 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 dun, 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 dun you know, kind of thing. And so it's it's interesting how all this stuff works together. His his broken neck changes style, and uh, it made it so much so much more unique. And so just an amazing thing. Uh, so he and his band now, now a quartet started traveling and they put out a series of records. Dave, maybe you've seen some of these jazz at Oberlin here in Ohio, Oberlin college, uh, jazz at college of the Pacific, uh, Columbia records, uh, jazz goes to college, all of these different college albums that he put out recorded at various colleges. And they were really, really good sellers. So now the band in the later 50s, is composed of Joe Morello on drums, and I mentioned he was a violinist turned drummer, Paul Desmond on sax, and Dave Brubeck was a real trailblazer. He had a black bassist, and uh, that was not acceptable in a lot of places. Eugene Wright was just an amazing, amazing talent. Uh, But Dave didn't care. And this goes back to his childhood. His father on the ranch... Uh, there was an old, old black cowboy out there. And one day when Dave was a young man, a boy, his, his father took him to see this guy. And, and he told the guy, he said, take off your shirt and show Dave your chest. And he took off his shirt and the man had a brand on his chest. He had been branded. He was a slave. And wow. this had such a profound impact. This is probably the late 1920s had a profound impact on Dave. And even in his 80s, when he talks about it, he just wells up in tears about how could someone do that to another human being. Uh, just a, a wonderful humanitarian and someone who truly, truly fought against racism and and didn't care about skin color. Uh, he just saw people as, as fellow human beings and, and just lovely. Uh, so anyway... Dave's a little nerdy. He's a little, you know, he's cool, though. Uh, he's always kind of humble. And uh, one of the great stories about his humility, 1954, he was featured on the cover of Time magazine, second jazz musician to ever be honored like this. The first was Louis Armstrong. And Dave Brubeck was, he was kind of embarrassed by it. Duke Ellington came to Dave's door, knocked on his door with a copy of the magazine and said, Dave, you're on the cover. And Dave said, it should have been you. I don't deserve this. You should have been there, Duke, not me. And so Dave wrote this song called The Duke. In honor of his friend, Duke Ellington. the jazz ambassadors became a thing. The Cold War was was brewing. Of course, communism, we had to defeat them. And what can defeat communism? Jazz. Jazz can defeat communism. It can take out nuclear weapons. It can do everything. But jazz is the most free expression of the human spirit. And this is something that, that people started to discover that if you go to a, a society that's stifled, that has no freedom and no liberty, and you expose them to the liberty of, of guys jamming, you know, and, and, and uh, just going to town, it, it really opened doors. And these musicians that went around, they were Duke Ellington, they were Satchmo, they, it was Dave Brubeck. All of these great, great jazz musicians of the era were out traveling to Africa, to various countries where communism was getting a toehold. And they were there basically fighting communism with freedom. Dave Brubeck was invited to go several places in Europe and Asia. And uh, he went to Poland. And one of the most lovely stories about Poland, uh, we were watching uh, 
documentary just last night. It's on PBS called uh, The Jazz Ambassadors. Check it out if you get a chance. And there's this Polish guy, he's a musician sitting there, and he's just in tears talking about Dave Brubeck in Poland and, and the music. And Dave wrote a song for the Polish people, and it was just thank you in Polish. played this song and it was beautiful and you could hear a pin drop in the place afterwards for like two minutes just dead silence everyone's jaws are on the floor and all of a sudden they just erupt into applause and they just go ape over this dave traveled the the area and when these musicians would travel they'd taken the folk music they'd taken all of the the scene and the sights and the sounds and everything else and they listened to the musicians there's there's great footage of satchmo with these African dancers and everything. And he picks up his trumpet and joins in. And I mean, it's just great. And Brubeck ended up in Turkey. And he heard these rhythms out of the folk musicians that he had never really heard before. And they said, this is our jazz. And he took home one of those rhythms, he and his drummer Morello. And they wrote this song called Blue Rondo a la Turk. rhythm that you hear is a Turkish rhythm. It's a 9-8 rhythm. It's just really strange. If, if you try to snap your fingers along, good luck. Uh, you must be a trained musician if you can do it. But then it breaks into 4-4 four, four for this little swing and jazz thing, and then it goes back into the 9-8. And it's all over the place, and it's really, really a wonderful song. The whole album, uh, this is the same album that Take Five's on, uh, all of these different time signatures that pop up all over the place. And this really became Dave's hallmark in a lot of ways that he, he had these funny time signatures. And so he put out a series of records. Uh, time Out was followed by Time Further Out, <laughs> followed by Countdown, Time in Outer Space, which was dedicated to John Glenn, Space Ooh. Age. How awesome is that? Oh. Time Changes and Time In. All of these had really unique kind of uh, time signatures in them. And these albums were all great sellers. It was all the Dave Brubeck sound. So much could be said about Dave Brubeck, but of course, time's running out. Uh, ooh, there, he could have had another one called Time's Running Out. I could have. <laughs> uh, as he got older, faith became a, a big thing for him. And he started actually composing sacred music. And if you go online, uh, you can find oratorios that he wrote Ooh. and just really, really interesting things. Uh, he wrote one about Christ uh, walking to the cross, and his wife said, no one wants to hear this. It's too depressing. <laughs> and and uh, um, just the whole thing about, uh, you know, you'll pray for the mountains to fall on you kind of thing and all of this. And uh, just amazing. So he is so versatile in so many ways, all of this jazz, uh, then the syncopated jazz and then the sacred music and the classical influence and everything else. Yes. Dave Brubeck, a musician of musicians, uh, passed away, I think in 2012, if I remember right. <laughs> Uh, I, I know he's dead, Paula. So there's, there's, <laughs> but, uh, oh gosh, I could go on and on and on about Dave Brubeck and just the joy of listening to his music. I, I'll tell you, when I listen to Dave Brubeck, my brain lights up. I yes. see music. I feel oh, yeah. music. It, it, it engages, it engages the brain in ways of that few other musicians can. And I think it's these odd time signatures. It holds your attention and, yes. and you can't not listen to it. It's, it's amazing. So we're well over time. We need to wrap it up, but uh, we'll be talking a lot more about music in the future. Thanks for listening. You're swell. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.